What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays we got him for days. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm glad we finally get to discuss some of these things because we haven't really talked about a lot of this. We're talking about the tumultuous state of the golf world, yes. correct? And you were talking about it Friday night, and conveniently, that was when I had to use the restroom, so I missed most of that, too. Right, <laughs> right, of course. Um, I know what you're thinking. First of all, do you like our new graphics? Thank you. For no- Thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. Um, and the second thing you probably noticed is that this is a college basketball podcast, and we have started the conversation with golf. And that's not a mistake. And the banner you're seeing on the screen above my head, also not a mistake. Uh, we've done this a couple times before. Where we, so Josh and I share love of basketball, college basketball, bat hoops in general, the orange ball going through the orange ring, as Big Greg game. Popovich likes to say. Um, but we also have sports passions and followings that go outside of basketball. For me, it's golf. For Josh, it's soccer. Um, if you don't follow Touchline Talk on Twitter, what the what in the world? What the what in the world are you doing? You should. Um, it's it. it's a top tier uh, soccer media outlet that Josh runs over on Substack. I don't have a golf Substack, so I have nothing to plug. Even though you should listen to everything I say in this podcast and I take can it and that. take it to scripture. Um, so that's what we're doing over the next couple weeks. Is today we're going to talk golf. Josh has ten questions for me about the golf world, and if you're in to that kind of thing at all you know this is sneaky the most the biggest fundamental shift that perhaps any sport has seen in quite a while is that a fair i mean now the big 10 and college sports came in and said hold my beer and just fundamentally changed the way that conferences are aligned it hasn't happened yet though but it hasn't happened yet and what's happening in the golf world is very much happening it's being talked about almost too much we're going to talk about it today, um, but there's a very there's a fundamental shift in the way the golf world operates and the challenges to the top tour in the world, and that's the thing that's most different about it than anything else. Nothing's really challenging the peak of any other sport in the country in the right. world, like like the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour on the European side of things is being challenged right now. But this week we're talking golf. Um, Josh has questions to ask me. We'll bounce back and forth. Uh, and then next week, we'll reverse the roles. You'll see Let's Talk Soccer above my head. And uh, we'll talk uh, about uh, what's going on in the pitch and around the world uh, as we also head into an exciting time. And the soccer calendar with the World Cup coming up at the end of this year. Did I miss anything? Do we think? Do I th- you think I've appropriately prepared the audience for what's about to happen? I do believe so. So I've split it up into the live section <laughs> And the other section. That, that was the question I was going to ask. Are all like I wouldn't have blamed you if all ten had something to do with. No, that. no, I have some other things I would like to discuss. Good, I, I I appreciate that because I think that's kind of there's some fatigue there as well. Um, so, uh, but I'm ready to rock and roll whenever you are. All right, I, I figured we start with live. Does that sound good? That sounds appropriate, if nothing else. So, question one is. I know there were discussions about this. It didn't come out of the blue one day. But how long was this actually a thing that was being seriously considered? 
And do you feel like it was always going to happen or it was just kind of an idea that all of a sudden the pieces came together and it turned into a real thing, if that makes sense? It's been talked about, and I'm going to look it up because I'm not sure. It's been, you know, half a decade since this kind of thing was first floated out there as a competitor to the PGA Tour. What I what I will say is for a long time, it was kind of like a threat with no weight right. behind it. Just something somebody said. Um and it kind of just always felt like that. So no, the first part of your question, no, it didn't really, it didn't happen overnight. This is kind of thing has been talked about for a while. And the thing that's different this time from last time is the names that they've been able to connect to it and actually get it off the ground in a real way. Because apart from the cheesy graphics, and that's the thing that's kind of surprised me the most, apart from the cheesy team names and kind of the graphics, it's... It's actually a pretty well-run operation, it seems, which when you're backed by the amount of money that Live Golf is backed by, that's probably going to be the case. Um, I will say for me, it became really real way faster than I thought it would. I mean, we went from, will this thing ever get off the ground, to we have a event in London in June. And here are some people participating. Right. That's how I felt, too. Okay. Um. So, I mean, and the, the thing that's made, that makes it different, of course, is the names that they've been able to get associated with it, starting with Greg Norman being the commissioner of it all, and kind of snowballing from there, because we've kind of gotten to the point where it's a train that is going to be really, really hard to stop, if stopping whatsoever. Um, but not overnight, but the actual implementation of the, of the league itself is certainly it, it came about faster if you told me in january that we were going to be several events into the live golf um that before the us the british open we would have played two live golf events i i wouldn't have believed you and yet here we are and they're kind of rolling yeah and that leads nicely into question two which is to what degree are you surprised by the names they were able to get and the amount of people they were able to persuade. Did you feel like when this was going to happen, it was always going to go this way? Or did you think it was going to be kind of a, a fake threat? Not in the sense that it wasn't real, but that the amount, you know, the people they were bringing in just weren't going to actually cause any danger to the PGA. I am not surprised. I guess I'll, I guess I'll put it this way. I'm, there are some things I'm surprised about and some things I'm not. I'll start with the things I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised that they were able to throw lots of money at guys that never pretended to believe they love golf. And that they do it very much as a job. And they've always talked in kind of the t the tone of, I want to play as little golf as possible. Brooks Kepka has become, over the last you know half decade or so, the guy who literally says, who offers that he just doesn't care about anything that's not a major. He says he's said it on multiple occasions. He shows up for the majors. He's got several of them at this point, And he just doesn't seem to be all that interested in anything else. Um, the same can be said for Dustin Johnson. It's not like he's been known as the guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes golf. He just knows he's really freaking good at it. And 
that's what he does to make a handsome living. Um, so am I surprised that Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka have made their way over there? Not in the slightest, because they've made it clear pretty much since they became household names on the PGA Tour that I'm not out here because I love it. I'm out here because I'm good at it and I make a lot of money doing it. And going to the Live Golf Tour, they get to play less golf and make more money. So from that perspective, it absolutely makes sense. Um, Phil, here's where I am on Phil. I think Phil is so deep in debt yeah. that, the, and I'm not reporting this, I have no no actual tangible evidence to suggest, suggest that this is the case further beyond the reported debt that Phil Mickelson is, and, you know, the degenerate gambling actions that he's made throughout his career, you know, all the way down to the Tuesday money match that they play on, you know, during practice rounds. Um, I think that Phil was so in debt that he had no choice but to when the Saudi, when you know the Saudi-backed leaks came to them and said, "You know what? We'll pay off your debts, but you got to attach yourself to us and never waver." That's what that's kind of what I think happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I guess I'm a little surprised that a man who makes so much money was that far in debt that he was kind of put in that situation. Right. Um, because as a guy who, I mean. It's not like he was washed up, and we'll get up. We'll get to washed middle-aged players here in a second. Um, but like, he won a PGA Championship a year ago. Like, we we went to the twenty twenty two PGA Championship, and he was the defending champion. It's not like it's been six years since he competed, and we went so quickly from that to this is wild. And I just I find it hard to believe there was a there was such a fundamental shift. And his thought process, other than I gotta find a way to get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what, for what it's worth, that was why I was never surprised by that. That that was the immediate conclusion I came to too. Was this? He looked at it and said, "I have no choice." Right. Um, because it's, I felt like because the difference here, the fundamental difference is the people who appreciate the prestige of the PGA Tour mm-hmm. and the people who don't. Sure. And until. Six months ago, I would have considered Phil a guy who appreciates the prestige of the PGA Tour um, and a guy who appreciates the prestige of majors. And I mean, like his entire career has been dictated by the fact that he can't win a U.S. Open. Nobody knows better than Phil the prestige that comes with winning all four majors. Nobody. It's all we've talked about with Phil since he won. I guess it was the British Open that he won in 2013, I believe, um, that got him one away from the one away from the Grand Slam. We've been talking about it since. Um, both when the majors that have happened since then and the majors that happened before then that where he was so, so close to winning a U.S. Open. Which is why it also furthers my belief that there's something, like, they had something on him is kind of a weird way to say it, but um, they had leverage that they knew he was going to have a tough time looking over. They had a solution and, to his problem. Correct. And and so I think that's that's kind of where we end up there. And then I'm not surprised that there are a lot of guys who haven't truly competed on the PGA Tour in a while who are like, yeah, I'll go make a bag for the last for the next, you know, 10 years or whatever, five to 10 years. No, or I'll sign one $30 million contract and that'll be that'll be good. Um, because when you look at the group of guys 
that have gone over there. It's a lot of guys. Now, there are some surprising ones and some younger guys that I'll also get to here in a second. But when you look at a lot of the guys who are headed over there from your Lee Westwoods to um, your Charles Schwartzels, um, <laughs> when was the last time you were really talking about them being competitive on the PGA Tour, truly? I feel like Lee Westwood, every major, his name comes up for right, some Right, reason. and like he played the go- best golf of his life like last year when he was kind of in that player's championship, he would contended at one of the majors. But other than that, Lee Westwood's been irrelevant for half a decade. With all due respect to Lee Westwood, number one player in the world for a while, a very good career. But Lee Westwood, like, like we're at that point where let, let's just add some icing to the top of the cake. Sure. And that, that I think I'll put it to is that I think the PGA tour expected as, as well as the guys like DeChambeau, like, Phil, like DJ, like Brooks, I think the thing that worries the PJ Tour the most is the guys who are who are young who have gone over to the Lip Tour. Um, Taylor Gooch, who won, I think for the first time back in the fall, maybe it was two years ago, maybe I'm misremembering that. But Taylor Gooch is kind of an up and coming guy, uh, late twenties, I think, a guy who's very much entering his prime of his golf career, and a guy who had proven to himself he could win on the PGA Tour. Um, Seeing him go over there is tough. And seeing guys like James Pyatt, uh, the Michigan State uh, grad who won the 2021 U.S. Amateur, that's the kind of thing that wor- that I think should worry the PGA Tour because the entry barrier to the Corn Ferry Tour to the PGA Tour is so high right now. And like the PGA Tour recently made an announcement that they're going to, that they're increasing a lot of, like, like the Q School, uh, qualifying school for the Corn Ferry Tour, the price of admission just went up just to participate in Q School. Um, so as that barrier gets higher, Live Golf is going to have an even bigger space to kind of wiggle its way into and say, hey, listen, we can jumpstart your golf career right here and we'll give you, you know, we'll sign a check and hand you a seven figure check. You know, maybe it's, you know, or, or, or we'll, we'll hand you $500,000 and no matter what happens, you know, forget all the money you can make on our tour. With that $500,000, you can play golf professionally for a while without making a dollar. From entry fee perspective, and of course you want to keep making money off of that money, of course. But that's the kind of thing that alleviates the stress of, man, between my hotel, my airfare, and the entry to this tournament, I spent, you know, three grand, and I need to finish top 15 just to make five grand? Like, that kind of pressure is alleviated for a lot of those mini-tour guys and the guys just starting their career. Uh, shouts to Pearson Cootie, the Texas guy, the Texas uh, product, who said, you know, it was reported that he was offered life-changing money from the Live Tour. He said, you know what, you guys can shove it, and then one on the Corn Ferry Tour the very next week. So there are still guys like that, but that's kind of where, um, to very in a very long-winded way, answer your question. Um, am I surprised they got as many guys as they've gotten? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but when you break it down into categories. It's the younger guys and the guys just coming out of college at a high level that I'm more surprised uh, that they've been able to allure um, with with that money. Now, what does this do from, this is question three, okay. a legacy perspective? And you can take that any way you want because it's going to be different for different guys. Mm-hmm. Phil is obviously at the top of that list in terms sure. of what has already happened. But what, what do you think looking... 10, 15 years down the road when some of these guys retire or in the case of a James Pyatt, mm-hmm. what that means 
you know, what he could have been on the PGA Tour and sort of him choosing this route so early in his career? Um, I think, you know, Phil, one of, the, you know, one of the 10 best players ever. Bryce, I mean, Brooks, Bryson, DJ, all have done things that should be at the top of their Wikipedia page. And instead, what's going to be at the top of their Wikipedia page is that they played on the Live Golf Tour. Right? I mean, it's going to be... You can't. You won't be able to talk about Dustin Johnson's career without talking about the fact that he went to play on the Live Golf Tour in his mid-30s. Brooks, in his late 20s, maybe he's up there, and maybe he's gotten to 30 yet. I'm not, I'm not positive, to be honest with you. Um, but it's like... I don't know. It's like... You just can't talk about it without mentioning it, without thinking about it. Um, and for James Pyatt, like, to be honest with you, he'll just be a guy who made a lot of money that nobody cared about. And that's kind of where, because, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just find it hard to believe that we'll get to a point where people truly care about what's happened on the Live Golf Tour the way they care about what's happened on the PGA Tour. Um, from the prestige to the... I mean, and, and the unfortunate thing is that there's some things that the Live Golf Tour has done that have forced the PGA Tour to evolve, and I maybe you have something on that here in a bit, so I won't get too much into that yet. Um, but it, I mean, it tarnishes legacies. We'll, we'll, you know, it kind of remains to be seen how we'll look back on it. But we can we can talk about all the reasoning the thread that's going to run through all these guys' legacy is that they took a lot of money from Saudi Arabia to come play golf for them. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. And it doesn't matter what else you did. Maybe it should matter what else you did. Maybe it shouldn't. We can have that conversation. But as far as I'm concerned, it's you will never talk about Dustin Johnson again without talking about the fact that he went to the Live Tour. We'll never talk about Phil's unbelievable career without talking about him going to the Live Tour. That'll be the first thing we talk about. And... It's um, it's unfortunate in some ways, and in other ways, it's like if like you just kind of got to live with being asked the question of you know asked about it every press conference you do for the rest of your life, um, and having people talk about it for the rest of your career or at least your public career when it comes to these guys because that's the decision they made, and you know, I guess it's their prerogative to make that decision, but um, it's a, it comes with some baggage for sure. Fourth and final live question. Please. And I feel like this is kind of the point we're getting at now. I've seen Rory talk about this a little bit. but Rory's really interesting. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed listening to him the past couple months. Where, where does this go moving forward in terms of, A, the sport as a whole and kind of how these two different leagues find a way to make peace with each other and theoretically coexist, and B... You're hearing all of these threats from majors about potentially banning these pl- the live players from participating. Mm-hmm. Of course, all of these guys, and you made this point, are invested in the majors above all else. And I would have to assume all want to continue participating in majors. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Charles Schwartz also, somebody talking about kind of just the ability to have choices. Yep. So where do you see, once this kind of settles into an actual pattern in a a operation moving forward what do you think that looks like i think we're probably headed towards coexistence 
um, way more than anybody thought, even as few as three months ago. Um, Rory, you know, I think you don't need to look any farther than Rory to see how big of a threat the Live Tour actually is. Um, I mean, Rory's been very firm from the very first mentioning, you know, years ago that it's never something he's going to be enticed by. Um, and he said, you know, you know the, the quote that he, he had, a, you know, a couple months ago was, I've made plenty of decisions driven by money. Mm-hmm. And when you make decisions driven only by money, bad things tend to happen. And he hasn't wavered from that. But there's been a very, there's been a very noticeable shift in his tone and his narrative about the live tour that's gone from this dismissal fighting for the PGA tour, him winning on the, on him winning the Canadian open after kind of being, you know, coming out and saying the things that he did a few weeks ago is like one of the cooler things, one of the cooler moments for the PGA tour in the last 10 years, as far as I'm concerned to see their guy go to bat for them and then win in Canada like that in front of a crowd that the live tour will just never have because of how, starved Canada was for golf because during the pandemic like they like Rory won the 2019 Canadian Open that's the first Canadian Open they've played since 2019 so he was the defending champion um you know here in the United States golf took off and golf courses basically went off without a hitch around here um here being the United States in Canada they shut down for a while um it wasn't a COVID activity the way that it became here in the in the United States so they are they they've been st- their golf population starved for the game, um, so to see that happen was awesome. But what Rory has the shift in Rory's narrative has gone from like dismissive, you know, I'm taking shots at the Live Golf Tour, I'm taking shots at Greg Norman, all in the name of the prestige and the history of the game and the PGA Tour to the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and Live. They need to sit down and find a way to coexist because I kind of think that's where we're going. Um, with that being said, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, Tony Finau. Like there are so many players and I, I, and I believe Sam Burns and, and I believe that you have to go all the way to 15th and to, excuse me, 18th in the world to get a live golf player, I believe. I, I'm pretty sure that's right. The top 18 are Scotty, Rory, John, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, who's on a tear, by the way, uh, Justin Thomas, Cam Smith, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, Hideki, Billy Horschel, Joaquin Neiman, Tony Finau, DJ. The best players in the world are still, like, the best players in the world right this second, they're still playing on the PGA Tour. And and I a couple weeks ago, Live Golf kind of did this like in comparison to who's playing in Portland and who's playing on the DP World Tour and who's playing on uh, at the John Deere Classic. Like the the field by their you know from their perspective was stronger in Portland. Um, of course, we can have all the conversations about that. Just nobody plays at the John Deere Classic because everybody's headed over to you know, Europe to play in the the Scottish Open and to play in the Irish Open and to get ready for the Open. Um, But I don't care what anybody tells me. The best players in the world are still playing on the PGA Tour. I just gave you the top 17 players in the world. They're all still playing on the PGA Tour. And 
until that changes, there's still I there's still some leverage that they and the majors have, um, and hopefully that won't change. But at the same time, when you get into that next, you know, twenty players, there's a lot of guys that are um, playing on the Live Golf Tour. So it, coexistence is where we're going. I think um, coexistence between all three. I think the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, their connection and their co-sanctioned events, their um, partnership will get a lot stronger in the next couple of years as well. But I think what Rory realized and what the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour are realizing whether or not they wanted to they want to admit it is that it's not going anywhere and uh, they got to find a way to to coexist with it it will be interesting to see what augusta does because augusta doesn't need any name to make it prestigious right um and they've talked about taking away yep. that lifetime exemption into the Masters for winning it um to the guys who go to the live tour so we'll see what happens with augusta um i think that's interesting just because they they exist in this bubble separate from like reality all the way from like the fact that they still sell three dollar sandwiches at the event, you know, all the way up to just like it doesn't matter what anybody else does. No, nothing's going to be more prestigious than Augusta National. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, coexistence, I think it's where we're going. All right. And the last thing I'll say before we switch to uh, switch over, um, I I just really wish that they would say, you know what, I want I I do it for the money, like. Do I agree with it? No. Would I respect you more if when someone asked you why you did it, if you didn't try to come up with some ridiculous reason other than I, I want the money? That's, yeah. I like I said, I disagree with it. Do would I respect you more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just mm-hmm. come out and tell me what you really want. Yeah. That's fine. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. But for you to try to tell me it's okay, and that you think it's okay, but you won't actually tell me why you want to go over there. Come on. Yeah. And a lot of trying to make the world a better place stuff. right grow the game bull crap give me the break come on I'm, give me a break i'm right there with you. anyways that was one thing we had discussed a little bit huh? yeah. yes okay on a completely different topic what is it fair to expect from tiger nothing <laughs> nothing it's a it, it would be unfair to expect maybe like the the furthest expectations i'm going with tiger at this point is finish the tournament play all four rounds um, but this is a two-sided coin. One, nobody should expect anything from him. Two, he doesn't need to prove anything, right? Sure. sure. And and that's and maybe he had come to that realization a little bit with the PGA Championship, with um not finishing that event, um, because he doesn't have to prove anything. Everybody knows how gritty he is. Everybody knows. It's not like it's um it's not like he has to prove any toughness or anything, um. It would be, I mean, at the same time, would it be freaking awesome to see Tiger contend at the old course and maybe his last major ever? Um, at least one that you feel like he's actually coming and he actually believes that he could win it. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, but nobody is in a position to expect anything from Tiger. I just want to see him finish an event. Sure. Um, and generally speaking, I'm in the camp of golf's going to be just fine when Tiger actually does kind of go away. Um but when he's there, it's it's certainly electric. So, so your opinion is basically we need to treat every appearance at a major as potentially the last one and treasure that, as opposed to sort of looking at it the way I feel like we have the past couple of years of, and of course before before the the crash, but mm-hmm. of can he make progress to get back to being right. in contention? Which the answer was yes because he got that extra yeah. masters. And, 
and you know, I I didn't completely write Tiger off previous to like his run in 2018 and culminating with the 2019 Masters. But if you'd asked me if he was going to win another major, I probably would have told you no. Um, so this isn't a I like if anybody can do it, it's it's Tiger. Um, but with that being said, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's ever going to get back to that place. Um, back injuries and almost losing your leg. I f- it feels like like if there wasn't something permanently wrong with his leg, he wouldn't still be limping constantly. Like it just it's just it's that's just that's just I feel like that's just sensical. If there wasn't something forever and eternally wrong with his leg, then we'd be to the point where he wasn't limping at the end of every round. We just would be. Um, so I, I, I'm almost to the point where I'm annoyed that there are lots of people who are like, ah, Tiger's going to win this week. Every time he plays in a major, there's nothing we've seen in the last, you know, 14 to 17 months since his crash. And really in the months prior to that, the few Mm -hmm. months prior to that, that suggests he has the game to do it. Um, and and, you know, if for no other reason other than it's your game has to be unbelievably (laughs) sharp to win a major, unbelievably sharp. And Sharp to the extent that I'm under the belief that it needs to be so sharp that it's not something that can be that can be reached through lots of practice. It can only be reached through lots of play, and Tiger's just never going to play a lot again. So, all right. Question number six. Okay. Where is we touched on this a little bit, but where is the sport health wise? Do you feel like from what's going on with this? separation and all of the drama that's ensued with that mm-hmm. from the fact that we are very possibly living in a world where tiger is no longer a factor mm-hmm. sure people pay attention if he's participating in a tournament but there isn't i agree with you i feel like there's not the same kind of suspense about mm-hmm. his role in potentially becoming a a real viable contender so sure. where do you feel like i'm looking at this kind of i feel like we're at this big breaking point where Golf a year from now potentially looks very, very different than golf a year back. Yeah. Trying to find a way to say uh, So are we talking the sport as a whole yeah. or the professional sport? More professional. Because okay. the sport as a whole is healthier than it's ever been. The pandemic was, as a guy who works three days a week in a golf store, <laughs> I can tell you it's healthier than it's ever been. Um, we'll save that more for the next question. Okay. All right. I'll save that then. Um That's a good question because I'm not I'm not sure what it's going to look like in a year because that kind of depends on how the audience decides it cares mm-hmm. about the live tour. Right. Cuz right now the live tour will be the thing that if it happens to be near you you might go to, but it's still a thing like like the final round of the Portland event. At one point I was just on YouTube and it was on my record because Live Tour is not on TV yeah, anywhere. Say, I don't know where to watch the Live Tour. It's streamed on YouTube. <laughs> We're talking about a competitor to the PGA Tour that's streamed on YouTube. To, if, if you need any anything to just how much money they have, it's that. That they stream on YouTube to, at one point in the final round, it was to like 17,000 people. And it just doesn't matter. They still are giving out you know $4 million prize pools to the winner. Um, so I think that'll dictate it a lot. Um I still think there are so many new people in the game right now, and there are so many people that care about it 
that that the game will continue to grow and but I don't know I don't know to be honest I, I, I it it'll the health of the PGA tour the health of the other existing tours the corn Ferry tour the the DP world tour it'll really be interesting if people actually start to have an emotional investment in the live tour because mm-hmm. right now nobody does yeah right there's no prestige they're not playing like courses that are known for their history of hosting events and like they're we're talking about like the the aces like we're talking about team names that you you play against and like you know your 27th my career on 2k and they've got expansion teams like that's what we're talking about um so i think in a year we won't be having conversations about is golf falling apart because there's this big divide um I think the live golf, live golf will still be around. I think people will talk about it. Um, but when it comes to actually watching the sport, because I think people are reading a ton about live golf. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much content about it right now that clearly people want to know about it. But when it comes to a Sunday, when it comes to a weekend, and it's okay, where am I watching golf? Everybody's watching the PGA Tour. Um, and I think that'll continue to be the case until live the live tour finds a way to manufacture emotional investment. Um, but ultimately I think there will still be plenty of people watching and we won't be in the, we won't be in a crisis of, we won't be in, the, in a crisis of, oh my gosh, what is the PGA tour going to do? I think okay. it will still be the most popular tour on the planet and it won't be particularly close. <laughs> Question seven. And this can be more for the sport generally, or okay. it can be more specific to the PGA tour professionally. Okay. What is? I always like asking this question because I feel like it, I feel like I think I ask the exact same thing every time we do this. But yeah. what is the next step you want to see from the sport as a whole in terms of driving publicity, getting people to play, getting people to care about the sport, people choosing golf or their other sports, whatever it might be, just getting people invested in golf. Well, it's not having a tour that's based solely on money. That's not what I want to see from it. Um, because having guys who make a ton of money playing golf complain about the PGA Tour not giving them enough money is about the worst thing that you can have for the game. And that's the thing that infuriates me the most is all these guys claiming for the love of the game and claiming for the growth of the game. And really, they're just mad that they got a bad ruling and on, on a you know a out-of-bounds ball. Um... So where I mean, there are a couple things that one I think there needs to be a further division of the way the game is talked out about professionally and how that impacts the common golfer, um, because I think there's this you know on one hand everybody who plays the game casually wants to hit it farther and everybody you know around the professional game wants the professionals to hit it shorter, and. Astute observation. I hadn't and, thought about it that way. <laughs> and like, and I get the whole like you can go into the super into the PGA Tour Superstore and buy something off the rack that like somebody on tour is playing. Like you can do that. Um, and there's an alert to that, and there's a marketing strategy to that, and I get it. Um, but for the game to continue growing. I think you got to make the game easier for the people who and more accessible for the people who are playing it casually, 
whether that means 13 whole golf courses or 12 whole golf mm. courses instead of 18 so that it takes two and a half hours to play yeah. around instead of five. I would be five. a huge fan of that. Um, you know, there are some courses that have experimented with bigger cups, so it's easier to make putts. Um, and I think we kind of need to go to a place where manufacturers aren't just making clubs that are, you know, that are coherent, that are, you know, adhere to guidelines of competitive golf. Um, like, for, like make more clubs that make it super, super easy to get the ball in the air. Regardless, yes, please. Reg- yes, please. Regardless of if they adhere to U.S. Regardless of, regardless of if I can use them in a U.S. amateur mm-hmm. qualifier or not. That, honestly, is the kind of thing that would get me to consider playing golf. There you go. Right. It is It is an impossibly hard game. Anybody who doesn't think it is, let's go play. Because it is an impossibly hard game. And more pe- even more people would play it if it was a little easier to pick up. Because I don't have the time or the interest to actually Correct. get good enough where I enjoy Correct. playing because I feel like I have control. And, and shouts to my father for making an attempt to play the game. My dad's way too busy to be good at golf. That's just kind of how it is. And... We the golf industry needs to find ways for it to be easier to be good at it, um, yes. and to in a certain extent, there's right just like everything else, there's a certain like you know base level of hand eye coordination that's required. But like, my dad's a surgeon; he's got really really good at hand eye <laughs> coordination. Uh, it's kind of a requirement, um, so it, it's not it's not that you know there are ways to get people into the sport that they can enjoy it without and things like top golf and things like that. Those are good for the game. I. I I am of the, you know, making golf a more leisure activity um, and and a more um, social activity is a good thing uh, for the growth of the sport. As for the professional side, I mean, it's a, a cop-out answer, but like, like everything that's happened in the last six months for professional golf is bad for the game. All of it. Um and that's not to say that every decision the PGA Tour was making was great for the game. Like, I'm not going to sit here and act like the PGA Tour is, is you know, free of any blame whatsoever because, right, there are some things that they can do to make it. But it's the player, like, like what, the only way that the game continues to grow and continues to, you know, in this idea of the next step is that there's got to, like, golf can only reach a certain amount of popularity when guys are complaining, when Charlie Hoffman is complaining about about not being protected by the PGA Tour, when that guy's made over thirty five million dollars playing playing golf professionally, and the retirement benefits of the PGA Tour, it's basically like we're going to give you about half of your total earnings in retirement on top of those uh, on top of those career earnings. So like Charlie Hoffman, when he retires from the PGA Tour, and eh, over the rest of your life will. Drop, you know, assuming he stopped making money right this second, eh, cool 17, 18 million dollars that we're going to add on top of it. Um, so it's just a bad look for the best players, for the the epitome of your sport from a skill perspective. And the guys in the spotlight seem to be able to do nothing but complain about the fact that they make lots and lots of money playing golf. And I'm not naive, I know that's not going to change. Um, but I do think that we're kind of past the point of looking to the professional game to be an advocate for it. I kind of think we're past that part. Um, so we got to find another way to do it, whether that means making it more accessible, making it more fun, making it easier um, on the people who actually drive the industry. Because it's not the professional golfers. They don't drive the industry. It's the people who watch and 
play it legally. And go to the PGA Super Tour. Right. right. That driver professional. <laughs> Number eight. I guess it's kind of two different questions molded into one. Okay. Depending on your answer. But mm-hmm. are we going to see somebody get all four majors soon? How soon? And who will it be? Because I, I was thinking about this. That Right? We've got... If I remember this correctly, Rory and Spieth have three. Correct. And Kyle Morikawa is, you know, a wee little lad and has two. Correct. <laughs> He's going to be around for a while. Yes. So, obviously, just thinking about, and obviously you've got Phil as well, but this idea of... And all three of those guys are under 34. I think, right. I think Rory's 32, maybe. This idea 20. that these three guys in particular, excluding Phil, are going to have plenty of opportunities, mm-hmm. knock on wood, to really go after this thing and make these conversations because as a casual golf fan to me it was always u.s open phil Mm -hmm. trying to complete it i haven't thought about as much as the fact that we have two big names who are right got those three at a very young age and colin morikawa is on his way to matching them do you think this is going to be something where we're talking about a series of guys completing this here or is it going to be waiting and waiting and waiting like we have for phil i guess i'll ask Um, it that way i think at least one of those guys in the next five years will get it. Um, Which one? You know, probably... I don't know what it is with Rory at Augusta because, like, Rory should tear that golf course apart over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like, the 2022 final round, lights out. Didn't even make it look difficult. The fact that he ever shoots worse than 70 there is just infuriating. With the way he drives the golf ball, um, with the way he, you know, strikes his irons. I mean, it's not even... Like, I never come away from Augusta thinking, yeah, Roy would have won that week if he putted better. At Augusta specifically. He has those weeks, you know, in other places. But I never really feel like it's... Even if it is that way, it's never... I never really feel like, man, he just didn't make anything. Um, If you made me put a... If you made me put money on it, I'd probably go. I'd probably go. Spieth wins a PGA before Rory wins a Masters. And they both do it before Morikawa. Yes, because I just don't think people truly understand how difficult it is to win majors. <laughs> and two specific ones, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I, and and specifically, like winning a winning a Grand Slam is just like ridiculous. Like it truly, like it really is. Um, so it, like, it's definitely going to be Rory or Spieth. I don't think Colin gets there before both of them. I, I would, I, I will say, I, like, if you ask me to bet, I guess the smart money is to bet that Colin won't win a Grand Slam just because of how a few guys have done it. But with the way he hits the golf ball, like any week he figures out the putter, like he's, he's going to be in contention. Um, in the next five years, I think somebody will do it. Um, I don't think we'll get to 2030, and all three of those guys are still trying to get over the hump. Um, we'll have somebody join that group in the next five years or so. Okay. Number nine. I wanted to ask this sort of in the context of other sports and general sports society, if you will, right now. Okay. How do you feel like the LPGA is faring? And I was thinking about this in the sense that You've got WNBA games on ABC. Mm-hmm. You've got NWSL games on CBS. Some of the best known women in the world 
mm-hmm. are athletes in those two sports. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, you go down the list. Mm-hmm. Suber, Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner now is international if she wasn't already for unfortunate and mm-hmm. different reasons. But the point being, there are these huge names mm-hmm. that are sort of there. And even in the, the next level, your page backers of the sure. world to sort of carry this thing forward. And so I'm just curious how you feel the LPGA sort of compares to that and just generally how is it doing from a a marketing publicity standpoint? Am I just missing things as somebody who's not following golf super closely? Um, There are a couple different things I want to say. Um, One... The PG like golf is already like you know the sixth most popular sure. sport in the country. Right. So from that perspective, it's difficult, um, and it's just not like golf is a global sport, but not in the same way that soccer mm-hmm. is. Um, so you know, I say that to say that like Alex Moore, you know, Nelly Corda isn't exactly doesn't exactly have the same global impact that Alex Morgan does. Even if they're, and maybe that's just because there's not really a golf mega international event like the World Cup. Right. Um, And it's also an individual, not a team, which I feel like is a big part. Which is also part. And the other part of it is that the people who run golf coverage, television coverage, are just so stupid. And like, like there, there are issues with how the men's game is covered. Like in the fact that, you know, when it comes to the masters, like, you know, like you should be in in the U S open. We we can talk about the U S like you had to bounce, like looking at the TV schedule for the U S open was laugh out loud. Funny. Like across like the 12 hours of broadcast, you had to go to like six different places. If you wanted to watch all 12 hours, you know, who had the rights to the U S open, like final round coverage and stuff this year. Right. It was NBC. NBC. Yeah. Do you know who owns the Golf Channel? NBC. And you like like I it is mind blowing that like the that a sport that has a dedicated television channel has such a big issue with this. Like like I can watch there are some regular tour events that I can watch more of in terms of pure hours than I can of majors. Be, and that's ridiculous. And and so I say that to say that when there are coverage issues on the men's side, it's obviously going to trickle its way into the women's side. It, it, you know, it, and the women are already fighting for coverage, right? Um, like the you know a couple weeks ago, there was the the last forty five minutes of a, a Saturday uh, at a major for the women was just not. Brought, like NBC cut it off for nightly news um, and put it back on Golf Channel. Um, I think some of the best players in the world, period, right now are play on the LPGA Tour. I think Nelly Corder has the best golf swing on the planet right now. Um, and they, you know, they have some really high profile players now, whether it's, you know, the Corder sisters, um, Lydia Ko, um, uh, Lexi Thompson was just in contention at a major. Uh, Menji Lee, uh, whose brother Menwu Lee is also, um, uh, you know, top fifty in the official world golf rankings right now. But she's spectacular. Um, it's 
Are they doing okay? Yeah, um, I think they are. I mean, we've this year had some of the most lucrative purses the LPGA Tour has ever seen. Um, so that's a good thing. I will say that the, the 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 fluctuation of the men's game right now is also hurting the LPGA Tour because there's just, quite frankly, if you're looking at what's trying to get ratings, it just doesn't make sense to write about the LPGA Tour right mm-hmm. now when you can write about Live Golf sure. and write about what's happening there. Um, and that's just the unfortunate reality of the situation right now. Um, I think they're doing well. I think they continue to be an important part of the golf landscape. They're certainly not moving backwards. Um, but quieter times on the men's game, like that, th- that will help the P- the LPGA tour a lot. And just like, and we, we, you and I have had this conversation a million times. Um, there just needs to be a a commitment to putting them on national television more. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that means that some final rounds, and, and I know it gets complicated with TV rights and things, but like the NBC just needs to put more final rounds of the women's game on NBC, on big, on big NBC, especially because CBS has so a lot of the weekend rights to the PGA tour, like a lot of uh, Jim Nance and Nick Faldo, they do a lot of final, you know, third and fourth rounds on the PJ Tour, and NBC just needs to. They need to put the women on the national spotlight more. But they're spectacular. They're so so good, um, and they deserve to. They deserve to be seen. And one of the my favorite. This is just sort of building off that. One of my favorite things about golf, from that standpoint, is that it's such a technical sport. Of course, there's a physical aspect to it, and mm-hmm. that's why you see people like Brooks who are just ripped Mm -hmm. and can drive the ball miles you know right but the idea of if you don't hit it straight you're in trouble if Mm -hmm. you can just execute there is a great equalizer from a physical standpoint Mm -hmm. that you don't have in i'm specifically thinking basketball sure where there's just inherent physical disadvantages Mm -hmm. between genders because you know joel Embiid is seven feet tall and 290 pounds right Agree. That kind of yeah. thing. So, okay, question number 10. I feel like every time I pay attention to golf, mm-hmm. there's some random guy up near the top of the weird board that either I knew existed but didn't know was that good mm-hmm. or <laughs> didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know Scotty Scheffler was just winning every single week until he rolled through the Masters mm-hmm. too and all of a sudden was the number one and player was in the world. Player in the world. Right? Yep. And, you know, Matthew Fitzpatrick, I knew he existed. All of a sudden, he's now got a major too. Yep. So my question is, whether it's people who are already already on the tour or are coming soon, mm-hmm. who are kind of the next names people need to be paying attention to to get to the Rory, Spieth, Dustin Johnson, sort of that higher level of publicity, the next stars, mm-hmm. even or, or sort of, sort of following the footstep of Colin Morikawa, even who. Yeah all of a sudden is one of the best players in the world, and he's, what, 24-ish? Yeah. Um, there are a couple that are kind of already up there. Um, Will Zalatoris and Sam Burns, I think they'll both win majors in the next two years. Um, they're both spectacular. Will, for some reason, is just can't seem to get all that close, at least in, with the same consistency to winning a regular tour event. But every time we play a major, it's like, yeah, Will Zalatoris might win this major. Like, there's a a world not all that far away where he's, you know, we're talking about like five shots total across three different majors. And he's just won three of the last eight. You know, if you include this week, mm-hmm. like going back to the Hideki masters, 
Um, so I guess that would have been 2021. Yeah. Um, so like he could have won that one. He could have won two of the three that have happened this year. Um, so he's, he's kind of already on people's lists, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I think in terms of really entering that kind of group at the top of the sport, I think he's on that list. Um, Sam Burns is a pretty quiet guy, but he is so, so good. Um, he's not super flashy, um, but he hits the crap out of the ball and he's, super super skilled he's won several times now uh, and one like on the very short list of players to win three times in the last like calendar year um he's spectacular he's gonna win a major at some point um those are kind of the two uh, max homa just inside the top 20 but he's kind of a guy that's been on the rise he's also really really good maybe he doesn't ever get to like that speed or rory or kind of like you feel like you're more cow in the sense that you feel like he's at the tippity top mm-hmm. of the sport um, but a guy who's kind of always there when you see him in contention, you're never surprised about it. Um, killing it on social media too. <laughs> killing it on social media too. He is he is laugh out loud funny. Um, man, that's a good question. Um, uh, Sahith Tagala, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, Pepperdine guy. Um, he almost won the Waste Management Open. He's kind of a crowd favorite. He's got a weird looking swing. Um, He's really, really good. He's contended multiple times. Um, hasn't won yet, but he's really good. Minwoo Lee, I just talked about his sister, Menji, um, who has won majors on the LPGA Tour. Um, he's was just he, he and his sister both won U.S. Junior Amateurs. U.S. Amateurs. Casual. One of the two. One of the two. Uh, very, very, very good. Um, those are, the, those are the, the several that kind of come to mind immediately i think the pearson cootie who i talked about winning on the corn Ferry tour he just well he won a national championship in texas this spring he's really good um i think you'll be seeing him on the pga tour pretty soon um there's some guys at stanford that have kind of been like in the junior limelight for forever um michael thorby Arnson, who finished like top five at the travelers a couple weeks ago um carl phillips who's kind of been a youtube sensation for um, like I was like, I've, I had a recommended video come up on his, on my YouTube from him from like seven years ago. Like he was kind of a, a junior phenom. Now he's a Stanford guy. He's tearing it up this summer. He's, he's kind of flying through, um, kind of the regional amateurs around the, around the country, around the country as we move towards the USAM this fall. Um, he's spectacular. Um, yeah, there's there's so many, and, and, and kind of what I'll what I'll add to this is that there are some guys that I'm not thinking of that'll come on to the PGA Tour and win immediately, because it is no longer. It's no longer the frame of mind that I can't win on the PGA Tour until I have experience. It's just not a thing anymore. Um, guys come out onto the PGA Tour, expecting to contend and believing they can contend, and that's. This kind of youth movement thing, like every single, we're gonna get to the point where every, and we're kind of, we're already there, but to the point where it's like, man, there's another Will Zalatoris, like there's another guy here who, we kind of didn't know who he was 24 months ago, at least not anybody who's just the mm-hmm. casual fan, um, and now he's out here like, wait, he's 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 tied for the lead in the third round of the U.S. Open, and he doesn't look scared it's because these guys aren't scared anymore, they just aren't, and there's still, I still do believe there's this level that you have to reach to win a major. Um, and that experience is of course helpful, um, especially experience in winning a normal tour event before you try and win a major. Um, it's just why it 
very rarely happens that you see natural a guy, progression right, like matt fitzpatrick's <laughs> first pga tour win was the u.s open but he's won plenty of times on the european tour um you know he's won because some of the biggest rolex events in in europe so he's no he's no stranger to winning on on big stages just happens to be the first time he's won uh, a pga tour sanctioned co-sanctioned part of the tour's schedule event um but um those would be the guys um you know what? I'm gonna look at the uh, the the world amateur golf rankings real quick to tell you. Um, on the women's side of things, uh, Rose Zhang is ridiculous. Her and Rachel Heck, they're like the number one and three ranked players in the world. They both play for um, Stanford right now. Um, she is absolutely ridiculous. Um, she are, she's already won a, a USAM. Um, I'm surprised Rachel hasn't gotten as close as she she hasn't gotten as close as I thought she would. If you told me. Um, at this point, but she's spectacular. Rachel's spectacular. Shots to the 901, to the 901 by the way. Um, but um, she's spectacular too. Um, but um, but yeah, it's... Uh, and that's like that's where the PGA Tour needs to be focused um, in terms of keeping the best players in the world in on the PGA Tour is, is investing in those guys. I think we'll see kind of a direct path to the PGA Tour. It used to be that you could go to Q school for the PGA tour. And mm. now it's Q school for the corn Ferry tour. There's no way to qualify directly for the PGA tour without, uh, you know, through like a stages qualifying. Um, I think you'll see that change. Um, we've already seen there's like the university university points standings, basically the top there, there's a, for college seniors, there's a points system and the top 10 guys get corn Ferry tour exemption. I think we'll start to see maybe it's the top three guys go straight to the PGA Tour. We'll start to see something that kind of unlocks the PGA Tour quicker for guys like that to give them more of an incentive to go from college to the PGA Tour, even if the Live Golf Tour is knocking on their door. Um, but there's so many good young guys. Um, it's spect. It's it's why the USAM is one of my favorite events of the golf calendar. You do love the USAM. It is, just, it is. They are all so so spectacular. It's impressive. Thank you for enlightening us, sir. Thank you. I've got water here. I'm glad because that was. I did. We've been going for 58 minutes and 26 seconds, and I don't know. I probably talked for 51 of the 58. It's got to be something like that. Something like that. But I appreciate the questions. This is always. I I love doing these. Podcasts. Oh yeah, these are good. Fantastic. Um, you got anything else? Anything you want to add? Anything you've been enlightened by? I would not go so far as to say enlightened by, no. Okay. The transcript from this podcast will be up soon so that you can put this on your like holy books section of your library. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. We'll get in that. We'll, we'll, we'll even bound it for you. Okay. Um, but uh, thank you for the questions. Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, and um, we'll, like I said, we'll do... This ver this podcast, except I'll be asking him the questions and we'll be talking soccer on the next podcast. But uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, kind of a bridge uh, between um, between the content kind of wrapping up after the NBA draft and we start to really look towards next season when it comes to the college basketball schedule. Um, We're getting on- close to conference previews. Yes, we are. Um, it fills some content and it's it's a ton of fun it really is to, to have these conversations these are very much the type of conversations we have when the microphone isn't on um we just kind of throw questions at each other that we're curious about um that we know the other will will have some insight on so um we'll do soccer next week josh will be in the hot seat 
and uh, and we'll see you uh, we'll see you then. Please subscribe to the Jason Reyes Podcast and App Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and on YouTube down there in the corner. Jason Reyes Pod on Twitter, on YouTube. Of course, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those audio platforms. But um, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the, or watching this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, he's Josh, and we'll see you later.